Jason. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall Podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! I don't know if you knew this or not, but Budget Blinds have some of the best people in our community. They are, and we have said this before, they are very much good eggs. That they are. They are always doing things to help out the community and, but wait, there's more. Ooh, what else are they doing? They are the home of the Signature Series Shades. So when you're ready to make your home a smart home, this is the place you need to go to. You're going to call Budget Blinds, and you're going to say, all hail, my robot shade overlords. And they're going to know what you need, and they're going to hook you up with Signature Series Shades. So when you're ready to make that decision, head on over to our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit right in the heart of downtown, tell them Jason and Nick see you. Hello and welcome to this Friday episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall Podcast. Jason, you're back for another Friday. I don't know how you keep doing this to me. This is like the worst part of COVID. Well, you know, look. Going up for my Friday interviews. It is. It is. Uh, I have a little bit more uh, unscheduled time. And so this is what you get for it, is me showing up at your porch, or at least your virtual porch every day. <laughs> I hate sharing. Uh, I am happy, though, that we have uh, now a repeat guest, the new superintendent for Lee Summit R7 School District, Dr. David Buck. Welcome back. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Jason. Glad to be here. This was, uh, this was supposed to be our first introductory interview with you, but um, as all things lately, because COVID. Uh, we're, doing we got, our, we're doing our first interview second. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we got to have you on um, a couple weeks ago, which thank you very much for coming on with uh, Board of Education President Ryan Murdoch to discuss what was then the announcing of the, the reopening of schools plan. And, and we promise not to bug you too much about that this time around. And mostly because I know everything is fluid. And since we are recording this a week before it's actually going to post, I'm not going to make you say things that'll, that might change. So we, we, will, we will keep that in mind. Really what we want to do uh, this time, Dr. Buck, is, is we'd like to get to know you and we'd like uh, for, the, for the community a chance to get to know who you are and, and, and why, you, uh, why you were excited to come to our community. And, and eventually we'll get to a little bit of maybe, maybe your vision, what you see this, uh, this district can become while, while you're at the helm. So here's, my, here's my, uh, my, my, my first really, really difficult question. Why the heck did you apply for this job? Oh, you're kidding me. Lee Summit is well known across the Midwest as a, as a satellite district. Uh, it's known for innovation, high performance. It's, uh, it's an exciting district. So uh, why not? I don't know why 5,000 people didn't apply for the job. <laughs> well, look, even if I had applied, I don't think I'd have made much farther into the candidate pool. I, I lack, what is that thing they call, Nick? Oh, yeah. Uh, qualifications or skills. That's the well, ones that we have that, that, are, that, that are. That's involved. why we yell into microphones and not uh, responsible for the education of future uh, generations. Absolutely. So, Dr. Buck, you are coming from a district that had something on the order of 1,500 students, and literally it's an order of magnitude larger in terms of just student population, but, you know, skipping staff and, and all the facilities and all the things that go along with it. What do you think the challenges are for you as you make that kind of a transition? Um, every, and obviously any new superintendent or, or administrator that moves from one district to another Every district is different, but that seems to be sort of the, the big sort of it's a, a glaring a difference between our district and, and your former place. 
So I'll answer that several ways. First of all, Missouri's got 518 districts, mostly are small districts. So if I look at it, uh, where I'm leaving is bigger than 80% of the districts in the state of Missouri. So believe it or not, top 20%. Lee Summons, top 10%, top 5%, right? It's one of the biggest in the state. Uh, I think the scale actually is what was exciting. After being an administrator for 19 years, um, having that, that larger reach is a, is a very exciting piece. I've been a principal of a building of over 1,000 kids for many years. You know, I've been in large buildings before as a high school principal. Um, so I'm, I'm, that's been fine. You know, I think what the harder transition, to be honest with you, is because of COVID. Um, after being at the same desk for 12 years, uh, the health department uh, executive has been a personal friend of mine there for 15 years. Um, I could call her up. The police chiefs of multiple cities that I served and the county sheriffs, they're personal friends of mine because I've known them forever. Uh, uh, the, uh, the connections there were really deep. Uh, and so moving over, obviously, it's kind of hard wearing masks to go and people aren't in their office like you guys are not in your offices right now. Uh, it, it's kind of hard to go and make those uh, relationships and, and on the fly when we're making decisions here you know, daily. And so I think that's the bigger transition piece. You're right, seven buildings to 29 buildings, there's a difference um, there. Um, Demographic-wise, very similar, 22% minority versus 25% minority. Um, some of the challenges I had there are probably greater. 56% um, uh, free and reduced lunch when I first got there. We got it down to upper 30s by working uh, hard with EDC. Um, here, it's you know 22% free and reduced lunch. Um, I was at 6 to 7% ELL. Here, we're 2% ELL. I had 112 kids homeless uh, the last data point I had. I think it's the exact same number that Lee Summit had was homeless, 112 kids. It was the exact same number, even though it's a, a 10 times bigger. You know, I, one of my national mentors is a guy named Jack Dale. He was superintendent of uh, Montgomery County, Maryland School District. They had 180,000 students. And Jack, I remember, came and visited me in Wright City, gosh, maybe four years ago, spent time with me in Wright City. and said, Jack, what are you going to tell me? You have, you know, 100 times more students than I have. And he goes, just add two zeros, and we do the same thing. I know it's more complicated than that, um, but I think uh, uh, you know schools are schools and innovation's innovation and removing barriers and removing barriers is the same kind of conversations everywhere. I want to before we dig into some of those things. That's interesting. I want to go back to something you said though about the 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 challenge. So I, I'm just curious about that. When you are a, a superintendent of schools, what what kind of things are you looking for to to challenge yourself? Because everybody wants to grow and take on a new challenge. Um, but, but what are you looking as a, you know, as the leader of school districts, what do you, what did, what were you looking for that says, I, I need a new challenge. I want something to, to, to grow into. So one of the people I look up to a lot is a guy named David Schuler, superintendent of the Chicago area. Um, he instilled in me a long, long time ago that, Hey, if you go make a move, you need to make it for at least seven years. Um, because it's easy to go into a position and stir it up. It's harder to make change and help maintain and be flexible and tweak as you go along. And uh, I'm, I'm 47, uh, probably have about eight years left. And uh, so I either had to decide, hey, do I want to stay where I'm comfortable or do I want a, a new challenge? And, you know, I also have kids of a certain age and, uh, you know, I move now or otherwise I'm in the graduation cycle and it's harder to move the kid your senior year kind of thing. So I think those were all pieces of what made me start to think about looking. Um, and when I decided to make it, we, uh, that decision to look, I uh, looked at a couple different spots. Um, they were all large districts looking for a bigger reach and a, and a learning experience uh, for me. Um, you know, it, it's an exciting team here. It's a wonderful team here. Um, I'm amazed by the talent here. And so uh, 
know, that, that, that part of the challenge is, is what attracted me to it. And, you know, to be honest with you, the district's a fantastic district. It's a great place to raise my own kids. Uh, you know, so I'm excited for that as well. Well, you, let's, let's, let's talk about, about the, those challenges and what you just said about, you know, come in and, and make some changes and then stick around long enough to try to try to follow through and make those sustainable changes. You talked about uh, removing barriers about access, and that is a, that's a conversation we've had in this district for a few years now, sometimes very, very uncomfortably, and we won't beat around the bush. Your predecessor, there was a lot of trouble around, uh, around the district between, between your predecessor and the community and, and, and the school board. So how, uh, how do you come in and tackle some of those things and keep that conversation ab- about removing barriers, about access, as you come in here? It's the right conversation to have. And to be honest with you, every district should be having it. I think a lot of districts are having it for the first time right now. Uh, I think Lee Summit was ahead of the game on that. And I think where I came from was way ahead of the game on that. Um, we, we looked at uh, what research says and, and then looked at data and see if there's discrepancies between our demographics. Um, so I'll give you a few examples. Um, I'll give you a non-academic one first. Um, research says if to a high correlate to a successful career, that you participate in two or more co or extracurricular activities in high school. Um, the idea is that um, if I'm in the band or I'm on the offensive line, I have a, an employer, the coach or the band director. Uh, I have ability to set individual goals, but they better be congruent with my boss's goals. I have interdependence on my success based on the person next to me and their success is interdependent on mine. Um, my ability to uh, uh, deal with many failures and successes along the way towards a long-term goal. Those are all what employers want. So uh, there's a lot of research behind that. Uh, and so we looked at our demographics where I came from and we found that our children who were Hispanic, our children who were on free or reduced lunch and our children who had an IEP were underrepresented. Uh, so then we made programming changes. We added things based on what they desired. And then we tried to build a culture. We tried to remove financial barriers uh, and we got our demographics to match. Um, in fact, you know, we went all the way down to second grade to build in uh, a lot of different um, pieces where we end up having 70% of our second through fifth graders participate in before or after school activities. Uh, that way it was just a culture piece that, hey, this is what we do. And then when we got to high school, it was a, a bigger piece of, the, you know, of their lives. So, it's Dr. But- it's good for all. Good. No, I, I that, thank you. That's uh, I think that lends right into kind of where we, we were wanting to kind of aim anyway. So as you come into the district, obviously you are aware of the conversation. Uh, I, I think the catch all word we have used is equity. Um, but that conversation and, and looking at where those discrepancies are and what have you. So where do you see coming in from the outside, uh, coming in with uh, some having trying to done that work at, at your prior position? Where do you see the areas where the district has the most room to grow um, to, to achieve that goal? I, I'm going to answer it in two different ways. Um, one will be there's a general conversation in our society uh, about awareness and understanding and how to move forward um, as we understand each other better. And I've seen that previously with children of autism and other different um, uh, subgroups. And, you know, we're seeing that now around race. And so we've doubled down on our equity plan. So the equity plan was uh, um, approved in early 2019, but actually it was a board priority back to 2018. Uh, and so it's a standalone board of priority as of uh, this summer. Um, the board elevated, so they have three board priorities. It's one of the three. And then I requested that we double down on what we're spending on the plan so we could reach more people. So 
Um, I inherited they were spending about $100,000 on equity training. Um, we're going to uh, add another $112,000 to that um, and, you know, go into things like microaggression and, 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 and you know, how, how to react and what to look for and what to do. Um, so I think that that's important. That's a whole society's wrestling with that, right? Um, I think another part of that would be on hiring practices. And so we, you know, actually, when I looked at the data, I'm pretty excited about the last three years of data. Um, we've averaged over 10% of our hires being people of color. Uh, you know, we want our staff to be representative of our, of our population. Uh, most districts could not say the last three hour, years they averaged over 10% of their hires. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in, jump in right there. One, uh, one point of criticism has been that right now, as of now, there is, there is not a person of color in the, in the top level of administration on that admin team for, for, for the school district. Is that, is that something that needs to be looked at? So we obviously you're going to still hire the best candidate when you have a pool, right? Um, but we need to encourage people to apply, encourage people to follow the track, encourage people to get into the profession. So one of the things we're going to look at is because uh, if I look at assistant principals, I think we're around, I, I don't have it in front of me, 14, 15% of our, our assistant principals are people of color, something like that. Um, so we, we want to keep pushing towards um, the pipeline so that way that that is an easy choice, right? Um, we, when we look at, you know, Ann Arbor, Michigan, they've been doing a grow your own program for a long time. Columbia School District started one last year. Um, we're going to start looking at that hard. Jeremy Bonison over there at MIC SDA uh, is, you know, jumping on with that. And we're going to look at how can we uh, support kids uh, to want to choose the profession uh, and then support them going through college in return for their uh, coming back to teach for us. Um, so we're going to continue to do that. Then I'm going to look at student level stuff. So your student level data. Uh, look for discrepancies and, you know, where there's a need at. Um, so, for example, I looked at gifted data the other day. Uh, we average about 14% of our kids in, year in, year out, uh, and gifted are people of color. And that's higher than vast majority of districts in the state, uh, but it's still not 25% what our population is. Well, so then let's start digging into how do we come to our selection process for gifted? Well, we use the, uh, uh, the method that a lot of districts use, um, where it's a recommendation to be tested and then they give an IQ test. Well, that's not the only way you can have test, uh, selection. Um, the director of Gifted at Desi is a, a dear friend of mine, been a book club with her for the last 15 years, I've known her husband for 20 years. Um, you know, you, she'll, she'll tell you that the IQ test is not the only way and maybe not the best way. Uh, if you talk to uh, the superintendent of Philadelphia, Bill Hyde, um, you know, he's got 205,000 students. He, he went away from the IQ test selection. Uh, so we're going to look at what's it, what kind of universal screeners can we do? Um, you know, if you go to a, uh, sometimes you have a nonverbal IQ that helps you with your language, uh, people who have uh, different languages spoken home. Um, 18%, we have 18 different languages spoken here at least summer. Um, you know, the IQ test, while you might have a kid who sounds like they converse very well with you, uh, they still might not have a deep understanding of language as other kids because at home, uh, they have a different language spoken at home. So using an IQ test that's very language driven uh, is, is, can be a problematic piece. So, you know, what about creativity IQ, things like that. So we, we're going to look at universal screeners. Um, and, you know, I'd say the same thing. I'm going to dig into AP. I'm going to dig into out, percent of kids that have algebra one by eighth grade um, and see if there's discrepancies. That's one I found in my previous stop. Uh, we, we got up to 85% of our kids taking algebra in eighth grade. And then when I looked at the 15% that didn't, it was mostly minority males. And we're starting tracking that in fifth grade, kind of choosing what math track you're going to be on. And it wasn't malicious or anything, uh, but we said, hey, if it's good for all, it's good for all. So we got to where, let's push, let's get 100% of kids taking Algebra 1 
in eighth grade. Now there might be an IEP student or two that that's not the their their goal for an IEP, but um, the vast majority of everyone else should be in there. By the way, all that talk just scared me a little bit. That's too much algebra. I'm frightened. <laughs> Jason's the math nerd. Jason's the math nerd, and Jason, Jason's Jason's son is is starting calculus this fall. So I'm I'm I, I'm going to have to dig deep to get back into that uh, to try to help him at any point that he needs that going forward. But um, so, Doctor Buck, let, let's let's talk about this. We've had uh, I know you know we had there was so much conversation around EEC and their hiring and all of that, and then it really went dark. Uh, and I don't think this is necessarily in a bad way, but it was really quiet. All the work was done internally um, in the administration and teachers and all the process where this first year of training. And you guys have, you, you, as you said, you've committed to doubling down on the funding for this work uh, that you're doing. But let's talk about you personally or, and, and or the board, though. I think you're much better to speak for you than the members of the, of the Board of Education. I appreciate how, that. <laughs> how do you... Like you are going to engage in this work and you probably have engaged in this work. How do you intend to, and I, and I think one of the things that was a frustration for Nick and I, um, as we kind of followed along and have been trying to kind of keep up with what's happening and how's it working, um, is there has been very little output from district leadership, um, whether that be from you know administration or the board or what have you. I think the most we really heard about the last year's work is in the candidate interview we did with uh, board member Fritchie um, as she was talking about some of the, the impact that the work has had on her. How do you intend to not only obviously engage in the work, but sort of communicate what that means and how it has changed the way you do your job for the public? So Jason, I'm a data driven guy. I love data. I think data dry, uh, tells a great message, you know, um, with equity training, a lot of it is about uh, awareness and, and growth mindset. And there's not going to be hard data on that as far as uh, that part of it's concerned. Um, but I will tell you that when they do follow up those uh, metrics for everyone and on, they think the training was effective and, and, and helped them grow as a person, the metrics have been through the roof positive um, after every session for EEC. Um, but I don't think that's a, you know, it, when you're, you have 20 people talking about tough conversations, um, there's not, I can't measure a metric of, are you, are you more uh, aware or not? You know, there's not a way I can measure that, but I can tell you everyone's really, really appreciating the conversations. We have a, we had a ton of people want to sign up. Uh, that's why we doubled down because we had more people wanting training than we had seats. Uh, and so, and we, we're still using EEC and we also are using another group called um, Lively Paradox. Uh, if I'm saying the name correctly. You know, I don't have it in front of me, so maybe I messed that up um, because EEC couldn't meet the, when we doubled down, meet some of the things we wanted to do. So, so I guess yeah. I, 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 I want to follow that through, but I think that there's a piece to this, that there's a, there's a personalization part of it that I think is important from a leadership thing. And that's kind of where I was trying to get at is, is that, you know, this, whether you have done this work in the past and, and you can speak to how it changed the way you view things, or as you go through it this round, you can kind of speak to what you learn and what have you. Do you, do you intend to do that? And I think that that's one of the things that I think people on the outside who are either skeptical or don't understand uh, what it is, we're what it is the district is trying to achieve to help the, them understand the impacts it has on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and obviously you are, like it or not, the face of the district and, and kind of that public, that public front of things. 
that's where I'm trying to get is like, do you have maybe even already some experience with that that you can relate or, or is that something that you, I mean, I know you said you're data driven, but sometimes a little touchy feely story goes a long way to, uh, to get across what data might miss. You bet. And I totally understand that. Uh, you know, we, uh, for a long time had a, uh, uh, my wife and I had an outreach program for, uh, inner city youth in St. Louis, uh, learning horsemanship and they learned tricks on horses and some of them actually went on to be in Cirque du Soleil. Hector's one in WWE right now. Uh, you know, so, we, but they were in, from um, broken homes and, and uh, major obstacles in life. So it was, it was an outreach program. Um, we, it was year round. And uh, uh, yeah, I have those personal stories as well. There's no doubt about that. But I, I would just want to caution that the training isn't about, hey, let's, let's go through a training and come out with a soundbite to come. Um, it is becoming aware of each individual person of, hey, I, what is going on? Uh, what's other perspectives? And how can I help not make someone else feel less? Because I don't think anybody goes in education wanting to make anyone else feel less than because of whatever their demographic is. You know, I, you know I, and that's true of any kid, uh, but it definitely is uh, true if you talk about, you know, the orientation or skin color or anything else. We don't need to make people feel less than. Um, because of something they were born with or born as. How much though do you think is your role? And 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 I, and I will I will say this: you know, at, by by nature of the fact that they are elected officials, the the board members members of the board of education have more of a responsibility to to report to uh, the the people and their constituents. But how much responsibility do you put on yourself? I guess to to keep that conversation in the public eye. And you're right. The, 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 I understand what you're saying. The training isn't about coming out with sound bites uh, to make everyone feel good. Exactly. But I would say the last two years, our community in particular, and every community is having these, these hard conversations right now, but has had a difficult time of having the conversation because I don't know that they, everyone completely understood what the goals were. And I think maybe that's true for some of the board members as well. So, so what, what level of responsibility do you put on yourself to try to keep those conversations in the public eye so that everyone understands what, not, not only what the training is, but what the goal of the training is. So you're hundred percent right. My job is a facilitator uh, to, to a large degree. I'm, I'm asking a question and hosting a conversation. Uh, Margaret Wheatley said that's what leadership is, and, and, and I, I truly believe in what she, what, you know, in that. So that's what we're going to continue to do. We're going to keep having the conversation. It's the right conversation to have. It's not unique to here. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not unique to, you know, if, if I talk in Springfield, they're having this conversation. If you talk in Blue Springs, they're having this conversation. If you talk in Webster Groves, they're having this conversation. So I think it's uh, not unique here. We're going to continue to host the conversation. Uh, I don't, I think ranking responsibility or or such. I. I that doesn't serve anybody well. Um, I'm going to be me. I can't be somebody I'm not, uh, but I'm going to keep having this conversation because it's the right conversation because we're here to help kids grow up to become neighbors that you and I would be proud to call our neighbor. Uh, and so, you know, that we need to make sure kids don't feel less than and they have access to education and they have hope and dreams that they can try to accomplish. Well, let's let let's shift a little bit then forward, uh, and and I'm going to ask this question not just for this specific topic, but for for some some other topics. What are some visions of success? Because we, you know we started this with with it's easy to come in and shake things up, but it's a little harder to stay to stay a few years longer and, and make sure the change is sustainable. So, let's start with this particular topic. 
you know, how you envision success and what that would be or, or that to let yourself know you're on the right path. And then we can get, we can talk about some other visions that you have for the district. You bet. I, I'm going to use data driven. So if, you know, if, if it's, a, if it's a, so if give you an example, one of the highest correlates for college, getting a college degree, finishing a college degree is what grade you get in algebra two. All right. Now, not everyone's going to be college bound, but if but over 50% of the kids who go to college in the state of Missouri do not get a, finish their degree, it's a lot of debt and they done, don't have a, a good source of paying at all. Um, so we want to make sure if a child chooses to go to college, they're successful. So even if you're an English major, the grade you get in algebra two is the most highly correlated to whether you get a degree or not. So I want to look at what, what is our demographics of kids to get a B or higher in algebra two. And if it's discrepant against uh, certain subgroups, then by golly, we need to do a, a job to address that. So success with me was if I, every correlate I can find to be a successful adult, because that's the goal of education is to help you become a successful goal, adult, then we're going to try to find, if there's any kind of discrepancy, we're going to try to address it. That to me is the huge equity piece um, because the outcome is we want adults that are uh, uh, productive citizens and can self-sustain themselves uh, and somebody you'd be proud to call your neighbor. So let's, I, I think that your, your talk about successful adults leads uh, very naturally into, there has been in, in this district, and I, I presume all over, um, some shifts in the model that we're using, you know, the, the there was at one point kind of, it was a, a monolithic track for, you know, aim everybody at college all the time. And, and we have moved, we're starting to move away from a monolithic track and having more, more things out there yes. with STA and, and, and things of that nature. Um, you know, I mean, they can go, one of our students can go to the Herndon uh, center there in Raytown. There's in Cascade there. So there's lots of opportunities to do things that are not aimed at pushing someone towards a four year degree. How do you see the future of that? And what do you think success in trying to deal with that is? What do you, I mean, what, what looks like success for that transition or where that transition is going? So you're hundred percent right. And first I'll start off where I left when we became only the 13th district to have a registered youth apprenticeship. We had a third of our, our certified staff doing a full day of externship every day so that we were connected to the workforce. Um, we did a profile of a graduate just like you guys did. And then we built in curricular experiences, elementary, middle school, and high school, so we can give chances of kids to develop proficiencies and what our profile was. So coming here to Lee Summit, there's also the profile of a graduate and there's the Kaufman work piece. And the Kaufman work piece will look a little different this year than we all thought it would when we applied. Um, but we did receive uh, funding for the first year of that. But the idea is to move towards, we have um, career ed advisors at the high schools, help and make, uh, connect kids for internships and get experiences. Um, you're right, we have the path for Herndon and Cass and STA here. Um, with the Kaufman work, we're starting to see some of the other, we have 31 high schools that send to the, the STA. Um, we, uh, we're seeing some of the high schools looking at maybe recreating the little pieces of STA. They could, couldn't recreate the whole thing because it's pretty dynamic over there. Um, and so we were like, hey, we need to evolve. So now we're looking at uh, eight different paths of the, the of aeronautics that takes every part of, of the plane industry, uh, transportation, creating it, uh, flying it, everything, uh, and creating pathways through that. Um, it's a huge need in our, in our country. Um, uh, we have a huge uh, a turnover getting ready to happen. Uh, it's a very um, veteran group, if you will, in the nation. And so we're, we want to be part of that. Plus we have world leaders with that throughout the metro and each of those eight areas. So we're going to keep trying to innovate and be part of that. Um, but we're also going to try to get, help kids get the experiences they need. So 
you're 100% right. You know, I'm just as proud as the kid. It was uh, uh, last year I had a kid, I, he was kind of struggling through school, uh, you know, being motivated and he was in the auto body. We got him a registered youth apprenticeship job at a, at a car dealership doing auto body. He's getting paid 20 bucks an hour. At the same time, he's getting credit. Uh, and, he's, and yet he's going to become certified by age 19 where most people wouldn't be certified until probably 21, 22 or older. Um, and he's going to have, you know, drive, probably drive a nice vehicle than I am. Uh, so, you know, there's no, that, you agree, I agree. There's not just one path. I think schools have recognized that for a long time. I think the Kaufman uh, piece is going to really focus this entire metro area and us on that. And I'm excited to join on that. Uh, just, just real quick to, to clarify for, for, for everyone what that Kaufman program is. So it's real world learning. And so it's looking at, they use an interesting term. I kind of like it, uh, a value asset, market value asset. So, uh, you know, what things are you getting before you leave here in graduation um, that helps you be marketable for college or for certain careers or certifications? Um, so that does, it's really secondary focus to a lot, uh, to a large degree. And so we then back down and we said, hey, all right, so we're going to go with a RIASEC program, um, which is giving experiences and exposures and to elementary kids, uh, because I can still recall uh, having a conversation with uh, the HR of Toyota maybe three years ago, and she made a claim, and she supposedly had research behind it, and I believe her, um, that girls will make their mind up by age eight whether a hands-on field is uh, possible or not. So, um, you know, you ask a six-year-old, uh, they everything's possible. Some some reason around age eight, girls start having a set mindset of is that possible or not. So we need to expose kids, young kids, to different fields, and they can do anything. So I think that's an important piece. As you as you look at at settling in, <laughs> and, and and we we all admit that because COVID, you um, you started your work in Lee Summit probably earlier than than the typical July one contract did. Um, but but as 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 you get settled in in Lee Summit, and as you were looking to come here, were there were there a couple things that you were excited about sinking your, sinking your teeth into? Oh, I think the equity work is a huge thing I'm excited about. Uh, and, and I also, the, the talent here at the district is just immense. I mean, it really is. Uh, there's so many advantages that uh, kids at least some of them have because of the talent here, the offerings here, and I'm excited to be part of that. And I have to, you know, I know, I know everybody wants to talk about the past, but I've been amazed at the, at the you know, the board is, you know, works well and they, they, uh, they're, they're wrestling with the big topics uh, incredibly well. And I, you know, I've seen nothing but uh, great things. So. Okay. So now, now, now we're going to, now we're going to get mean to you. So um, are, are we going to, are, are we going to follow your, your reopening plan? Exactly right. I'm gonna hold you to it. <laughs> to the letter as it is this day, <laughs> a week before it'll come out uh, a week before you'll be there. No, just kidding. Uh, Oh, we know. We I know you're going to ask things. about a Cardinal fan or Royals fan. Well, Look, well, that, that gets into religion. I'm not sure we're going to go there. Yeah, that. and and I'm afraid you might answer incorrectly, and then I'm going to have to be upset. I might cry. There's tears. All that. <laughs> I am going to though, as we wrap this up, I'm going to ask you a very important question. The question. This is the biggest <laughs> question that we ask any guest that comes on. No pressure. It, it is. It is a big debate. There is a right answer. And we will mock you if you're wrong. <laughs> if I were to put in front of you two plates, one plate has burgers and one plate has tacos. Burgers. Which one? Oh. Oh, see, you, there we go. Oh. 
This you know what? I can almost take you being a Cardinals fan before that. <laughs> wow, that is that is big words, Nick Parker, uh, right there. Well, I, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you this small piece of credit, Doctor Buck. You did not equivocate. You did not. You did not uh, try to political politicize your answer. You didn't try to, to to go halfway one way or another. You went and you picked your wrong. And if you're going to be wrong in this sort of a situation, be wrong strongly. And I think it's important in that regard. So I will give you that small small piece of kudos, even though your answer was 100% incorrect. <laughs> Dr. Buck, welcome to Lee Summit. And again, thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on a second time for your introductory interview. Um, we look we look forward to, to, to talking with you during during your tenure and, uh, and and seeing what you what you accomplish as, as you leave this school district. Thank you very much. And good luck. I appreciate you both. Thank you. All right. We will talk to everybody next time. Hey, thank you, Dr. Buck. I appreciate it. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much. I'm sure this is much lighter and happier. Than